In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. We will see that in today's Gospel, the Lord has more invectives and more attacks against the Pharisees and the scribes of the day. And uh, he points out the intensity with which they both prescribe and interpret the commandments of the law of Moses with all the different uh, additives to the law that they had included. The Lord does not, of course, despise or reject the law. He is simply telling people really to get their priorities right without falling into the temptation of paying attention to very secondary details while rejecting what is most important, most basic, the most essential virtues of one's life, justice, mercy, and faith. The Pharisees had shown excessive zeal in paying tithes for even the slightest uh, herbs and the slightest spices which weren't even foreseen in the law. All those things that they consumed, they would demand that others uh, pay tithes. They themselves didn't do that, and they were not even covered by the law. They lost a sense of the value of these things, the sense of the, the value of the law. You could say they lost the upright judgment of things, upright criteria, a sense of understanding what is important in life. They had no proper judgment, no real prudence. They seemed so zealous that you would you would think that they would know a lot of things that would be important, but in the end, you would not be able to consult them about any moral criteria. When it came to true behavior in life, they were, they were unable to measure those things. Today we would say they were by the book, but in the end, they really just did things out of human respect. It seemed to them that they would derive a certain human authority, human recognition by their apparent zeal. And that's why they ended up focusing on those details, because they gave a lot of importance to what people thought of them. They really thought it was important to maintain a good image external appearance, that they were respected by the people, that they had a good name, that they received recognition for their supposed moral purity. Of course, the Lord begins to destroy all that. The one thing that they thought was so important 
achieving human respect, human recognition, he was beginning to show that uh, they had, they were, they were not really to be respected because of their, ultimately their corruption. And this, in turn, is what led to his own downfall because they would not accept any of that. It was a, it's just a further. Uh, further shows how much they had lost judgment that when they lost in any way that good respect from the people and the Lord started going and the people started going to the Lord they just decided to kill him they could not endure that they weren't humble enough to accept the pointing out of their failures but also Jesus reproached them for their hypocrisy in religious practice and uh, Today we'll see that, that the Lord um, goes on to indict their two-faced, uh, you know, attitude in matters of morality. The Jews used to perform a lot of uh, ceremonies to do with washing, washing of cups and tableware and so forth, and all these regulations that they had with, with uh, regards to moral purity or legal purity. And... Uh, the example he chooses suggests a deeper level that that was all really about moral purity all in the end in the interior life and uh, and what he points out is their lack of interior life their lack of upright intention and we know that for us to have an upright heart upright intention that is that there's a consistency between what we believe what we know in our heart and how we behave, how we how we act things out, is very is very fundamental to building a unity of life. That was that is a expression that our father Saint Josemaria used to use a lot: unity of life. It's applied to the way we work, it's applied the way we live in the family, and all the different aspects of our life have to forge a unity of life, that is a unity of intention, of purpose, of why we do things. We are one person, not two persons, not two people. We are the same both when we do our job, when we are with our friends, when we are at school, when we are at home, in the family, when we go to church, when, when, we, when we pray. And he insisted along on this idea that we could not live two lives. Uh, we must be one person in all the spheres of our responsible action. And we see that in certain men who are weak, they, they tend to split their lives uh, between their work and their family. And they, are, they can actually end up being producers at work and consumers at home. And you know, on the job, they, they're even... You know, they dedicate themselves, they're, they're serious men, responsible in their job. But um, at home, they, they, they rest passively or passively uh, in often uh, kind of pr pleasurable recreation. And when they're at work, yeah, they do. But then in other spheres, you know, they, they're quite different. That, that should not never be the case with us. We are the same person. Naturally, we, we take on 
in a certain sense, a different persona, a different attitude, I suppose. We exercise different qualities at work and at home, but it's got to be the same, ultimately the same character strengths. For some at work, they, they just exert all their efforts, and even people see them with great respect as men of sound judgment in their work. Uh, but when it comes to quote-unquote normal life at home, that almost seems to vanish. It's as though they focus and hone in all their abilities on one very narrow sphere of their life. And at home, it's as though their strengths and their abilities rest on idle. You know, when you, like the, the, the motor is on, uh, on neutral and... Uh, they, they set it aside, all their abilities for the day. And thereby, they can end up being, all their qualities, their abilities, their, their intelligence, all that stuff is kind of like hidden from the eyes of their children. But true fathers, true men don't live like this. They, maybe they're smart or not that smart. They, they have to be effective leaders, both at work and at home. On the at home or and on, on the job, and the strength of their character impresses both their children and their colleagues at work. It's, it's this, you're you are the same guy, and uh, and in the, I suppose that would have happened to the Pharisees. They would have been at, in the synagogue and those places. They would have been very real respected and probably recognized. And as our Lord says at one point, you know that. They are greeted and uh, with obsequious veneration in the marketplaces when they're kind of playing their role. But then probably at home, they they didn't show any of that. They were probably lost respect of their own family, their wives. And, so we have to ask our Lord, who, who is quite uh, strong and uh, severe in his judgment against them, the, that the Lord gives us and reminds us of this interior uh, and exterior coherence that we have to have, this integrity mm, that is so important in our apostolate. Mm, when people see the integrity of a man, mm, coherence, integrity, these are words that are very attractive to us eh, because we are able to live on different planes of different things, but we're always the same man. Somehow it gives us stability and harmony. One example of that that Saint Rosemary liked a lot and made him a an intercessor for Opus Dei was Saint Thomas More, and uh, he really helps us to see the radical call to holiness in life. And uh, at one point, when he was young, I don't know whether he was a student or something, he he thought of becoming a monk, a monk in the same order that had educated him. But with time, he came to realize that he was called to marriage and family. And so he took a job with the government, and, and then he got married and had some children, and he rose up in the ranks in the government, and eventually became the Chancellor of England in the 16th century. And uh, this was, as you know, under Henry VIII. And uh, he ended up getting a magnificent mansion on the Thames River, where he entertained his friends, including the king who would come, and uh, sometimes some of the most famous 
people of Europe would come there to his home. He was known for his great sense of humor, his very deep relationship with his children. We have letters that testify to that. He had a profound life of prayer. Uh, he loved to write fiction. He loved satire, but he also liked uh, to study theology. But as you know, then came that moment in his life where his boss, uh, Henry VIII, decided to divorce and remarry his wife, and he justified it by breaking uh, his allegiance to the Pope and making himself the head of the Church of England. And he wanted everybody in the kingdom to take an oath of allegiance to him, to this new order, to him being the head of the Church. And indeed, pretty well everybody jumped on the bandwagon, even all the bishops, save one. And all of uh, Thomas More's friends did the same. But somewhere there, there was a deep integrity and allegiance to God in the mind of St. Thomas More. He could not compromise his integrity. He could not say, you know, I'll just do it. I'll just, you know, his friends told him, look, just, just sign it, uh, just say the thing. But in your head, you know what's true and just... Don't pay attention to that and and then go on and live your life. And it was very possible. He could have said, yeah, whatever. I, I give allegiance to the to Henry VIII, whatever. But then inside he could have just kept his allegiance to, to the Pope. But that would have been a, a division right there. He couldn't, he couldn't accept that. That one thing he said was false, yet he kept true what was inside. That was a division. That was two people right there. And uh, and uh, he knew that signing this oath of allegiance would just violate violate his conscience, would compromise his integrity, would offend God. Indeed, it would encourage others. Although everybody had already done it by then, he did love God, and he loved himself and others too much uh, to do this. It's hard to know exactly to what degree others in the kingdom had the same uh, interior battle of conscience. And uh, strangely enough, he lost the esteem of his friends. Suddenly, he was a pariah. He had to resign his post as chancellor. He lost his income. Well, and he eventually lost his head. He was executed for that. Now, Few of us will enjoy the privileges of St. Thomas More, and few of us are likely to be called to the same sacrifices. But little choices, analogous choices, do arise every day. And they do show us where our true loyalties lie. And uh, it's a good point of examination when we do the examination of conscience in the evening. You know, have I lived that loyalty? that uh, coherence, that unity, that integrity throughout my day. Well, we know that Thomas More was sent to the Tower of London on April 7th, 1534, and was found guilty of treason. And he was beheaded almost a year later, over a little over a year later, in on July 6th, 1535. And you probably remember his famous last words. He said, I am the king's good servant, but God's first. Yeah. 
and uh, it was eventually canonized, but in 1935, so quite a few years later, or, or centuries later. And, and so perhaps for us, how can this be applied to us? Well, there is the whole realm of the digital world, eh? the internet and all the, the kind of the, the life that we can live there, the, the profile that we have, and uh, people we know curate their profiles, their appearance on Facebook and all these places, these these social platforms, and um, and and yet this is a danger that is well, it's been prominent for many many years already. But you know, more and more the digital world and digital life will take on could have the danger of taking on its own persona for us. Saint Rosaria insisted a lot on authenticity. He said, he said, "We are just one life made of flesh and spirit." And it is this life that we that has to become, in both body and soul, holy, and filled with God. So we are one life. That's what has to become holy. And uh, he also said, we Christians cannot resign ourselves to leading a double life. Our life must be strong and simple, a simple unity into which all our actions converge. And. Uh, he insisted a lot on that, uh, as a, you know, as a, as an expression of, you know, what a member of Opus Dei would be like, and uh, it's there are always challenges for us to live that, because we have always an infinite uh, way of uh, ultimately seeking what is easier, and uh, sometimes um, we have to repair something on the inside and repair something on the outside. Each one of us has to see how we can do that. Yesterday, we spoke about the queenship of Mary. She was the queen. And, well, I looked up again what St. Josemir said, and he quotes from that passage um, from the Furo, about that passage we talked about from the book of Revelation, the sign that appeared in heaven. And he gives it a, a slightly new interpretation. He said, A great sign appeared in heaven, quoting from St. John, a woman adorned with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars about her head. He says, From this, you and I, and everyone, may be sure that nothing perfects our personality so much as correspondence with grace. Try to imitate the Virgin Mary, and you will be a complete man. It's a hard phrase to interpret, not to interpret, but to translate properly. Um, because in Spanish, this idea of becoming a complete man or, or woman is hombre de una pieza. It's a, it's a beautiful expression. Hombre de una pieza it means a man of one piece, a man of, it really means a man of integrity, not a whole dispersed collection or accumulation of cool ideas that we stack up and experiences. We are a man of one one piece, one heart, one soul, one mind. Hombre de una pieza. And that comes about by our correspondence to grace. A real consistency between what you think, what you pray, what you live how you live. A seamless unity there, an interconnection that that even if we can identify the different parts, we are still one piece. And that is the result of correspondence to grace. 
Let's ask this of our Blessed Mother, our Queen, that we celebrated yesterday. We still see her as our Queen, so she can help us to become a man of integrity. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you how to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.